cigarettes or doused with melty cheddar. An army marches on its stomach, he replied. That might be true for actual armies, ones with soldiers who march long distances and burn calories killing people. As a speechwriter, I didn't march. Enemy bullets were not a concern. Food coma was. Aboard the presidential aircraft, I ate stuffed pork chops and crab pretzels and giant cups of buffalo blue cheese dip that were, remarkably, categorized as snacks. After a last-minute edit, I'd reward myself with fun-sized Twix or Snickers from the candy tray by the window. Then there were the actual desserts. Who knows how many pecan pies and strawberry parfaits, apple tarts and brownies a la mode I polished off in service to my country. If you'd asked me 10 years earlier what I might be doing at age 29, clogging my arteries on Air Force One would not have made the list. True, I went to Yale, the kind of fancy-pants university where a sizable number of students have been running for office since birth. But not me. I imagined spending my 20s squeezing every drop of adventure from life. I would trek through far-flung landscapes and learn new languages and develop six-pack abs. I would disrupt institutions. I would subvert them or transcend them. But join them? Never. That would be pathetic. Fast forward a decade. I have taken zero journeys of self-discovery, but own a robust menagerie of ties. I carry a thin stack of business cards in my wallet and a thicker stack of backup cards in my bag. Each time I fly for work, an Air Force officer hands out warm towels and addresses me, without irony, as sir. When I'm not careful, I even start to think I deserve it. But events have a way of cutting staffers down to size. Two months before my Detroit trip, I went to see President Obama record his weekly address. I usually hid discreetly in the corner for these tapings, but this time, for reasons that now escape me, I sat front and center. When POTUS glanced toward the teleprompter, we accidentally locked eyes. Few activities offer less upside than a staring contest with the president. But now, having started one, I didn't know how to stop. I considered averting my gaze like a shy maiden in a Jane Austen novel, but that would only make things more awkward. I kept looking at President Obama. President Obama kept looking at me. Finally, after what seemed like hours, he spoke. What are you doing here? He wasn't annoyed, exactly. He just seemed to find my presence unexpected, the way you might be surprised to discover your dog in the living room instead of in its crate. A different young staffer would have handled the situation gracefully. Perhaps they might have tried a high-minded approach. I'm here to serve my country. Or they might have kept things simple. I'm hoping to catch typos. Here is what I did instead. First, in a misguided effort to appear casual, I gave the leader of the free world a smile reminiscent of a serial killer who knows the jig is up. Then I said the following. Oh, I'm just watching. POTUS took a shallow breath through his nose. He raised his eyebrows, looked at our cameraman, and sighed. It always makes me nervous when lit's around. I'm 90% sure President Obama was half-joking. Still, two months later, on my final POTUS trip, my stomach full of arugula and brie, I was careful to avoid his eyes. Backstage in Detroit, POTUS went through his usual pre-speech routine, shaking hands with the prompter operators and joking with personal aides. Then he stepped on stage to remind a room full of auto workers about the time he saved their industry seven years before. I had written plenty of auto speeches for President Obama. There was nothing especially new in this one. 
But as POTUS reached his closing paragraph, my eyes filled with tears. I had tried to prepare myself for each milestone. My last set of remarks for the president, my last ride in the motorcade, my last flight on Air Force One. Still, the nostalgia left me reeling. I fled the staff viewing area and found a men's room. With my left hand, I steadied myself against the sink. With my right, I held all but the first page of my speech. You're supposed to be an adult, I reminded myself, and adults don't cry in front of their boss's boss. I pulled it together, took a deep breath, and returned to the hold room to wait. Presidential trips are like that. One moment your fortunes are tied, inextricably, to the most important person on earth. The next moment you're killing time in someone's abandoned third-grade classroom or empty office suite. Five minutes passed, ten minutes, then a voice rang out from the hall.